Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rusty Quill presents...
Who knew that a guy who goes by the name Spider Black would turn out to be a not-so-nice guy? (laughs) Though I was absolutely certain he was up to no good, all I had to prove it was some weird premonition that I was seeing things from the perspective of the silentage, utilizing its senses to get a bead on the esotaric of the consortium of doors. Granted, it made sense from a certain angle, The place and I did seem to be cut from the same cloth, or rather, stone. And naturally, there was the question of whether the silentage and the white woods were connected, which, given their similar vibes, seemed a safe bet. I was reminded of my most recent brush with the lady of the white woods, how she'd wanted me to take out the crematorium. I hoped to hell she wasn't thinking that I should take a shot at Spider Black. Scream Eaters were one thing. Esotarks were an altogether different ball of wax. Not to mention, my play for the crematorium didn't exactly go as planned. Not that I wasn't aiming on settling up at some point. And despite his rather modest, if darksome, appearance, I had a feeling Spider Black was likely even a bigger nut to crack than the crematorium. Romy had likely just gotten to sleep, and I didn't exactly have an abundance of resources to go full gumshoe, so I was at a bit of a loss as to how to proceed with looking into Spider, or Dr. Black. I recall Pills thinking the consortium was uh, coming for him, to use him in some way or another, and I wondered what I might be able to squeeze from that line of inquiry. Granted, Pills was out of commission, but maybe there was something usable in whatever data the lab coats had already pulled from him. Not having any other options, I made my way down to where the Cellar King was being mothballed. Pills was still right where we left him. Smack dab in the center of the dimly lit white stone lab, all hooked up to that big machine, the neural regulator, covered with tubes and telemetry markers. The room had a couple of techs and a researcher I'd seen around the water cooler, one of Haskell's assistants, I was pretty sure. When he saw me come in, he and his clipboard came tooling right over. Hello there, agent. Is there something I can help you with? Yeah, matter of fact, there is. You see, um, I'm a little curious about pills over there, and I was wondering if you could help me scratch that itch. Certainly. Whatever I can do, Agent. I heard all about how important he is to the project here, but, uh, not much about precisely how he's being utilized. Think he could fill me in? Well, I'm not certain how much I'm allowed to disclose. Look, pal. My sister and I just risked our asses bringing him back here after you geniuses lost him. So I think it'd be alright to sound me out on a few things, yeah? Uh... Yeah, sure. Attaboy. Well, Mr. Pills should prove vital in several ways. Firstly, his fairly structured access to the collective unconscious should allow us to track the progression of the dim which seems almost like a hemorrhaging of the collective unconscious itself. Furthermore, 
Provided we develop a comprehensive methodology for understanding his relationship with the DIM, we might be able to manipulate it, even steered away from populated areas. As per our opening to the Grey Bulger, which I know you're quite familiar with, Mr. Pills proved capable of significantly enhancing our ability to generate decoherence. There's also some speculated uses for his abilities. Given his close bond with other psychotypes, we have a real possibility of using his ability to track down and apprehend exopsychotics, locate hypnopaths, not to mention the myriad of open-ended possibilities linked to having access to the collective unconscious in general. We could be looking at the birth of an entirely new science. Well, all that sounds like it'll definitely come in handy. But, um, has he said anything of interest? Since we've been here, I mean. I assume he's been running his mouth the whole time. Yes, well, um, we brought in a psychoanalyst who has some expertise with psychotypes. Dr. Anita Barlow. She's been dealing with him personally, though I can't say for sure what they've been speaking about. Well, I'm sure she must record her sessions and then turn them over to you guys, right? I can't say, as I don't see to that end of things. Well, assuming she did make recordings, where might I find them? Uh, well... Don't worry, you can tell me. We're all friends here. Uh, there's a sealed records room in the basement of Tower 3. If we had copies of Dr. Barlow's conversations with Mr. Pills, that's likely where they would be. See, that was easy. And, uh, thanks, um... Mayers. Dr. Lyle Mayers. Well, Dr. Mayers, you've been a great big help. I'll, uh, see you around the office, I'm sure. Making my way over to Tower 3 had me crossing through the makeshift plastic hallway that connected it to the silentage, which gave me a pretty good look at all the hardware and manpower the consortium had brought with them. Massive armored units patrolled the immediate grounds, and huge gunships prowled the areas beyond, their spotlights blazing across snow and sky. They sure as hell weren't taking any chances with anyone getting in. Once I got to the tower door, I realized why Mayers didn't put up too much of a stink about giving up the records room. My passkey didn't work. Probably figured I'd be forced to go through the proper channels to get clearance, save his ass from getting chewed out. But my stint looking out through the silentage's, um, senses, for lack of a better word, gave me an idea. Placing my hand on the wall next to the pale stone door, I revved my power and mentally commanded the wall to open. It took a lot of effort, and all I managed was a narrow opening, but it was all I needed. I was guessing that most of the power, besides whatever was needed for the security systems, had been shut off to the tower due to the tremendous power drain caused by the neural regulator. Lucky for me, 
I never left home unprepared. It was just a little pen light, but it got the job done. The records room was in the far back of the basement, just wall-to-wall storage cabinets. After some trial and error, I located a drawer containing a box of audio tapes. All of them marked Angus Pills. Bingo. After a little bit of scrounging, I turned up a tape player and set it up in the little reading cubby just outside the records room. I zeroed in on the tape marked Revelations. Now, we've been talking quite a bit about the collective unconscious, which you've characterized as the sum of all thought, but you've also alluded to it being contaminated. I'd like to ask you to explain precisely how it's contaminated. I do so enjoy how you all depend upon me, Dr. Barlow. My disturbed and disordered mind paying you insights you could never hope to acquire on your own. What is it that they say? Something about the one-eyed man being king within the kingdom of the blind. Yes, I'm sure of it. Now, how is the great reservoir of all knowledge being contaminated? This is perhaps the single greatest question of all time, and it pleases me to know the answer. As a person who considers themselves something of an authority on the mind, I think you'll get a kick out of how all this works. Or at least you might, should I deign to give you anything remotely close to an answer. But if the collective human mind were indeed being corrupted, isn't it in your interest as well to tell us how all this is happening so that we might fix the problem? You speak too lightly of the problem, my good doctor, which is why there's so little point in enlightening you. After all, you can't stop the night from falling with a candle. And, incidentally, the collective unconscious is far, far more than just merely comprised of human thought. How very Ptolemaic of you to assume otherwise. The fact that the conundrum goes well beyond human boundaries is part of the problem. Uh-huh. If that's true, then I don't see any reason not to tell me. If the ship is sinking and there's no lifeboats, well, why not chit-chat with me while we wait for the water? I like you, Dr. Barlow. You're a devious one. And that deviousness will serve you well in the world to come. But you're right. What's to lose? So, try this on for size. While I do not know the precise nature of the great darkness, I can say, with relative certainty, that it was an invitation of sorts. Or, put more basically, it was an opportunity for those who dwell below, far below. Reality is a machine, you should know. All cogs and levers. And our reality, to the best of my knowledge at any rate, is the latest machine off the conveyor belt. Built right over top yesteryear's model. And those trapped beneath its ponderous weight want out. 
But it's not so easy as just opening a door and hauling themselves up, or even punching a hole between the old and new reality. No, there's a process to be satisfied, a necessary contamination of what's above by what's below. Tell me, what's the central tenant to the science of collective mechanics? I'm sure you must have taken a course or two on the subject. The principal concept is that reality is girded and articulated by consciousness. Very good. So, it stands to reason that reality accords with the collective thoughts of all things possessed of consciousness everywhere within our universe. And, furthermore, that those distillations of the collective mind form the limits and extents and laws of our reality. Are you following me so far, Doctor? Physics is the formal product of the greatest agreements between masses of consciousness. Yes. Please continue, Dr. Pills. Now, considering that two universes, with differing types of consciousness, likely some to entirely different laws of physics, how might one effectively move between these contrasting realities? I'll tell you. They must convert the logic of one reality to the logic of the other. Put another way, one reality must infect the other, one mind at a time. I'd actually managed to sleep into the late evening when the alarm went off. Sitting up in bed, I listened for the intercom to crackle out some clarifying directions. But when I heard the thundering gunfire, I was up and out the door with my bailiff snug in my hand. Striped in red swirling emergency lights, the halls were filled with the sound of gunfire, most of it coming from the central hallway. The ordinance sounded like something straight out of a science fiction movie, when the monolithic robots from Mars mow down lines of hapless troops and tanks. I half expected to see Isaiah nearby, assuming he'd had a head start out the door, as his room was closer to the exit than mine. Creeping to the edge of the corridor, I took a quick peek around the corner. There was nothing, just more empty hallways and strobing red lights. It was only the hint of a sound that moved me to take a second peek and come face to face with something that moved faster than any creature had a right to. It was a lab technician, or at least it was dressed like one. Setting it apart from the ordinary run-of-the-mill lab tech, <laughs> and from humans in general, were its animalistic yellow eyes, a drooling mouth stuffed with bushels of hooked teeth, and hands that dripped claws longer than the fingers supporting them. It hissed past me, claws sweeping at me in an almost casual attack as it continued towards the front gate. I ducked its swipe somehow, the speeding thing's claws sparking against the stone above my head. Just as quickly, the streaking length of my bailiff's blade gave chase, sinking into its left leg, sending the creature skittering across the floor. Given all the momentum it had built up, it slid a ways down the corridor, its claws digging into the stone to slow itself. By the time it came to a halt, it had righted itself and turned to face me. 
it was all a tad surreal. Just moments ago I was in bed, and now I was facing down some kind of monster. Before either of us blinked, a brigade of armored shapes came crashing down the hall behind me. It was Astarian, leading a band of his men, Hanyama. I froze, as all I could picture were the creatures behind the armor. Things far fiercer looking than the thing in front of me. Get out of the way, you fool! I dove out of the way as the armored squad opened up on the lab coat attired monster. The sneering creature was impossibly agile, flipping and twisting to avoid the sizzling streams of alien gunfire. Next thing I knew, it was off and running again, a Starian and company in tow. Running after the traveling circus of munitions and monsters, I finally caught up with them near the huge mechanical door that led out of the silentage. Astarian and the gang had set up a firing line just in front of the gate and were pouring it on. The white-coated creature had thrown its shoulder into the big mechanized door, a massive dent remarking on the effort, but it remained shut. I wondered why Astarian hadn't just reached out with all that brain power of his and swatted the monster once and for all. But then I remembered the Pale Stone. The Hanyuma were likely incapable of breaking out the really big guns until they were clear of the silentage. But for whatever reason, the monster wasn't suffering the same limitations, finding some purchase for its inhuman strength upon the frame of the door, slowly peeling it back away from the stone. Whatever the armored Hanyuma were firing, it was doing a fine job of tearing the monster apart. The problem was that the thing seemed to heal from the shots almost as fast as they were made. In seconds, the creature had pried open enough of the frame to wriggle around it and get outside. With the monster outside, the armored unit threw open what was left of the gate and moved outside into the cold. Just behind the line of Hanyuma, I watched the monster bound across the courtyard, dropping down on all fours as it picked up speed. Those massive hovercrafts that delivered the inspection team were closing on the thing from above, their spotlights chasing it with bright electric blue ovals. Their alien gunfire chewed the snow directly behind it. Moments later, it all but vanished into the perpetual bluster of snow and wind and darkness. It was at that moment I could feel the unfurling power of the armored alien right in front of me, his mind expanding like the sunrise. The lights on the Hanyuma's strange weaponry began to glow brighter, as if it too were filling with the alien's mental power. Now beyond the Pale Stone, Astarian was about to lose the kid gloves. But before he could take his shot, someone else took theirs. It was an impossible shot given the distance and conditions. The monster dropped instantly, just a dark stain on the blowing snow. Having all of them there big fancy guns ain't worth a piss hole in the snow, if and you can't aim them. <laughs> yeah. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. 
If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.